Welcome to Politics Aside. We appreciate all the listeners that are with us today. And as as you've heard, many of you in the past, I started this series as an opportunity for all the listeners to get to know some of the fantastic people that I've met through the years that are true leaders and have made such a difference in the world. And it's an honor for me to to have special guests, such as uh, our chairman that's with us today, which I'll do a formal introduction in a moment. But again, it's my way of just trying to share experiences and help. hopefully some of our listeners will follow along with the journey. So uh, I'd like to formally introduce Chairman Duncan Hunter, a lot of a lot of titles, and I want to explain those for a moment. But first, uh, a war hero, served in Vietnam, a lieutenant, uh, Army Ranger, and 20 plus, 24 or more uh, missions uh, in, in serving our country. Also then elected to U.S. Congress in, in 1980, I believe, uh, where I got to know the chairman uh, very well and through his, his service to the U.S. Congress. Then became chairman of one of the most powerful committees uh, in the country, if not in the world, and that is the House Armed Services Committee as chairman. And then decided to run for president, uh, which uh, uh, all, you know, all credit to you for your passion and your wanting to serve. A little closer to home, Chairman, you know this story, but we first met when you came to Nevada and helped with my campaigns, uh, as did Buck McKeon, another good friend, mutual friend from California. But having served in Congress uh, serving California, and then, of course, part of that in, in uh, serving our country. Let's let's really start, Chairman Hunter. Uh, why don't we talk about what you see different today in the partisanship, and what what was it like in, when you were serving in your relations across the aisle? Well, well, John, first, thanks for letting me uh, uh, be here and have a few words with you, and what a great show you've got. And uh, I do have to put out one disclaimer, and that it is that. Uh, uh, I was not a hero in Vietnam. I served with a lot of heroes, but uh, I, d- I just showed up and, and really had a relatively easy tour over there. Uh, and uh, uh, I always thought and still think that Vietnam was a was a noble cause, as as Ronald Reagan said. And uh, uh, but you know, uh, and that takes us to to bipartisanship and and this question you've asked me about uh, what did it used to be like? Is it uh, is it more fractured now? And uh, uh, I'm reminded of uh, Mike Thompson, who I think is a friend of both of ours. Absolutely. Who was in my unit, uh, the 173rd Airborne, before I was there. He was there during the very tough days in the late 1960s with lots of the brigade uh, being killed and wounded. And uh, and Mike was in some pretty, uh, pretty heavy fighting. Of course, Mike always used to kid me. He would say, Hunter, when I left Vietnam, we were winning. You know, yeah. I came in a, 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 about a year, and a year I can and a half just later. I can hear him saying that. <laughs> yeah. So, so Mike and I have done a lot of things together. We shared a lot of times together. We were in the Sportsman's Caucus together, which supports the right to keep and bear arms, to hunt, to fish, uh, and uh, and we had a great camaraderie. And and so, uh, so I had uh, great experiences in Congress uh, across the aisle, Democrats and Republicans, and I think it is uh, somewhat more fractured. Uh, than it than it's been in the past, and I think we need more people like you because I've always thought of you as a uh, as a guy that brings people together and and has a levelness, a uh, and a common sense and a decency that tends to make people want to work with you. 
So, when you're uh, very kind. So I know Thank you, you do that. I know you work with Democrats and Republicans. I think we'll bring those days back. I do hope, uh, you know, in a partisan way for my party to, to uh, do better in these midterm elections. And uh, my fi- my fingers are crossed, and I'll be I'll be working on that. But you know, we can put that aside. One thing that was really a great uh, a, a great factor in bringing people together in in uh, the capital, I always thought was of something most people don't know about, which is a congressional prayer breakfast. A member of Congress, wonderful, members wonderful. of Congress had yes. that in a a little room downstairs underneath the dome. And uh, I'll never forget Bob Stump, great old Democrat turned Republican, who From always served the coffee. Arizona. Yep. And you, and you would have members get up and, uh, and give their personal testimony. And uh, it, uh, it took the edge off. It, uh, it, it, uh, it gave us a, each, way, each week a little refresher of civility. But we'll get that back. Well, and rest his soul, I was honored to be able to attend a number of those. Uh, I didn't, wasn't able to serve with the chairman, but was invited many times in my early career to attend. And it, that is an example of our program today, politics aside. Yeah. And what we, what we ask is that everyone put politics aside for a moment and hopefully enjoy some of this conversation today that is literally about what's best for the country, which I know that you are always, always on the front line. You know, and, that, that's you know, true, and there's a common cause, that the common cause brings us together. And the Armed Services Committee was probably one of the most bipartisan. Yes. Very bipartisan. Absolutely. When we're, when we're doing things for the troops, we're all together. And one of the, the probably the, the best uh, times, as you know, John, in, in Congress, is when we're all pulling together. And there are those times. Well, I'm a believer, and I've learned from you, that uh, in spite of our blemishes as a country, because we have our share of problems, right, every day. And we're here in Washington, and you know, we're, we're uh, 300 yards from the Capitol right now. Uh, there are a lot of fine people that are serving the country, and uh, to say that there, they, you have a lot of folks that come uh, and are elected to Congress, and they rush in and try to change everything overnight. But but service is a marathon, and it's about working together incrementally to find solutions to problems. So again, you were an inspiration for me, and your leadership uh, on the committee. And by the way, I, I mentioned it earlier: a, a chairman of a committee is a big deal. Uh, and will always be, and your respect, again, is nationwide, if not around the world. And on that topic, you know, uh, top of minds today is what's happening in Ukraine. What are your thoughts on Ukraine, and what does your instincts tell you about what's going to happen next? Well, uh, first, to the, to the, uh, the strategic uh, situation, it's clear that the, the Russians have pulled back from trying to take everything with one bite, which is what they tried to do early on in taking Kiev. And they're trying to establish a, essentially establish new boundaries, uh, on the, on the southern and eastern portions of Ukraine. I'm worried that the battle lines that they have there now, and if you see all the briefings from, from one of the news shows, you'll see this crescent that goes all the way down yes. past Mariupol yeah. over toward Odessa where they, they want to cut off the maritime capability of the Ukrainians, but also establish that uh, that land bridge to Crimea. 
Uh, you can see that that on the big scale is what they're trying to do. And, uh, and their game is not a game of genius or, uh, uh, or intellect or, uh, or great strategies. They're simply pounding the living daylights out of these Ukrainian cities. And that's always been kind of the, the blunt edge of the, uh, of the uh, Russian army. And that's massive artillery. Stalin, uh, Stalin called artillery the god of war, and he's just pounding with artillery that is, is supplemented by missiles, pounding these cities and, and killing a lot of civilians while he's doing it. And, and on the battlefield... So it's just mass destruction. It's just pound, pound, pound. Yeah, not a, not a brick on top of one another. And I think it's clear now the Russians don't, they don't care if there's any civilians left in cities like Mariupol. Uh, they just want to have the passageway that uh, the the geography, so to speak, uh, to have that land bridge to Crimea and also to push the Ukrainians away from their seaport. And uh, and what it is right now, this is a pretty uh, it devolves down to some fairly simple things. They're standing off now and 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 uh, and uh, throwing these massive artillery barrages at the Ukrainian structure. And what we're going to have to do, what the Ukrainians are going to have to do, is to be able to kill those artillery pieces, whether they're tanks uh, or self-propelled artillery, 152s, or the cruise missiles, uh, or even longer-range missiles that they're firing. You can't take those missiles out, uh, but we have to have a way to be able to knock out that artillery, that steel. Uh, it's like, uh, it's like the ancient battle, I think, of Agincourt between the French and the, uh, and the British. And the British had longbows and they stood back at long distance and threw arrows at the uh, French until there were no more. And, and so the Ukrainians desperately need a way to take out that armor. They've killed a lot of Russian tanks with this artillery or with this javelin missiles. Yes. Uh, and with the Turkish model of the, uh, uh, and several other countries that are contributing uh, drones and and uh, uh, anti-tank missiles to the to the uh, to the project there, but they still uh, the Russians are going back to their old game of pound them and pound them and pound them, and uh, and they uh, they continue to destroy Ukraine, which is going to make the build back much tougher. But they're also trying to establish essentially a new de facto a new line. boundary line. Yeah. 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 So there, there goes my phone right now. That may be the Ukrainian. That's uh, okay. Right now, we'll put a pause on here. Just, we, were, we were talking about how they're, they're actually forcing a new boundary. Is that what essentially. As a, yeah. as, a, as a country. Yeah. The Just battle lines will become a new inch, boundary. Yeah. Inch by inch. Yeah. Uh, how far will he go? What do you think, Putin? How, you've dealt with Russia uh, USR, Russia, yeah. for years. How far do you think Putin will go? What, what will, what's his end game? You know, uh, uh, nobody obviously can read his mind, uh, but uh, we have this unusual problem where the State Department uh, and, the, and the Defense Department are trying to beat Putin without making him mad. Uh, you can't do that. And, and we desperately need, for example, to send Predator drones each of which has a number of Hellfire missiles, each of which can kill Russian tank, can destroy the Russian armor and the Russian artillery that is pounding the Ukrainian cities into pieces. We should afford those run by private companies 
uh, for those to Ukraine. But the message from Russia has been that's an escalation. Yeah, yeah. don't they? Is, doesn't Russia see through that that approach in that, that it's escalating or maybe escalating? What's happening? Well, I, I think the I think the Russians are trying to to bluff us and to stand out of this thing until right. they can push uh, further into Ukraine and and claim a victory of sorts. And so I, I think we should give the Ukrainians what it takes to win. I think they're going to need to have, they're going to need to stop Russian tanks even more than they have. And they got to be able to stop long range artillery and tanks that are firing uh, on the perimeters of these cities. You have to stop that. That's, that's the blunt instrument of the, uh, of the Russian army. And uh, again, Stalin called artillery the god of war. And they would stand back and just besiege these cities by pounding them with artillery. And demoralizing, or try to yeah. demoralize them. Massively the demoralizing to the civilian population. I, it's remarkable that the civilians have held out, or are still alive well, in Mariupol. Heroes. And, and, and we don't know how much they've held out in Mariupol, which is essentially blockaded. Uh, but Zelensky said he needs more heavy capability to break the blockade to get into Mariupol to rescue his people. I think we should give that to him. A priority in, in your tenure of leadership on Capitol Hill was modernization of, of our military, but also to make sure that we remain strong. And what we're seeing, what appears now in Ukraine is that even the Russians are having trouble maintaining with, with enough equipment. How are we as a country right now watching what's happening in Ukraine? How is our military today? Are we, are we prepared to defend our country with enough equipment and manpower? Yeah, you know, the, the answer to that question depends on what kind of a conflict you're in. Uh, but we have a, a, a low combat mission capable rate. That means the ability of our uh, Air Force aircraft, naval aircraft, uh, to be full up for a combat mission. Now, they can fly combat missions without being fully combat capable. That's the equivalent to having a car that uh, uh, maybe a few things don't work, but it gets you from Still A to B. Works. Yeah. Um, but we have a fairly low full mission capable rate right now with our aircraft. Uh, we've got a small Navy, as you know, one of the smallest we've had. And, uh, and we have a, uh, we have a, a, I'd say the Marine Corps is probably adequately sized. We have a smaller army than we've had in a long time. So we have a, compared to the rest of the world, we're still robust. We're still strong. Do we have everything that we need? I would say no. And, and Europe, our allies have less. And, and, uh, you know, we've beaten them up on try, on spending money on defense. But if you're a European politician, Let's say in Germany or another another uh, European nation, and and you've got a choice between uh, just as here you've got a choice between voting for defense right. or building airplanes or for giving social programs to the people who will vote for you. Right, you're probably going to spend more money or be inclined to spend more money on social programs. So we're not doing enough, and and, uh, and there's a few areas we need to put a lot of stress on. Uh, one is the capability to take down missiles early. That is in boost phase. You know, right now we have a missile defense that will, it's called the mid-course defense. If missiles yes. came over, a few missiles came at us uh, that, uh, that were ICBMs, we'd be able to take down a few of them, not too many. Uh, but the, 
that's the equivalent, if you're a hunter, to shooting a pheasant when it's coming yeah. 50 miles an hour over your head. It's much easier to shoot them when they first lift off the ground. And we, we have to be able to take these missiles, whether they came off, say, the Korean Peninsula uh, or came out of Iran at some point in the future, to shoot them very quickly before they get up speed. That means to be able to get them uh, uh, through operations with our tactical aircraft, uh, carrying uh, uh, air-to-ground missiles, very quickly after the first 100 seconds or so after they rise off the pad or even before they get off that pad, called boost phase defense. You get it as a missile boosting up, just like when you watch the missiles at Cape Canaveral and they, they start up very slowly. They all start slowly, and that's our best chance to take them down. And because of the proliferation of ICBMs, uh, we're going to have to have that capability. You can't wait until they're coming uh, many times faster than a rifle bullet at you. And you have a limited number of interceptors right over the United States or over the Pacific to try to take them down. You have to take them down early. And we have to develop that capability within our, uh, within our military. Well, so speaking of that, uh, and, and of course, top top line today is the again the loved ones and the individuals that are losing their life in Ukraine. I think a lot of us feel frustrated. Like to be able to do more, you know. Yeah. And every day we see the moms and dads and children and the pain and suffering, and of course that's the top of the headlines. Uh, it's today. What about China? What are your thoughts? What do you see happening with the U.S. and China and what's going on in, in Ukraine as well? I think, we've, I think we've made a fundamental mistake in giving China most favored nation trade status in the late 1990s. And I fought it at that time. And as you know, that was one of the, uh, my big deals on my presidential campaign, which incidentally was my presidential campaign was a safe haven for people that didn't like big crowds. Uh, that's great. So, uh, <laughs> uh, but but well I was, but we gave China most favored nation trade status, which opened the door to move to move lots of our production offshore, which means two things. One thing is, as you now have a, a supply chain problem, if you have a product that we need over here and right. you make a part of that product uh, in China, and China for for because of COVID or other reasons. Uh, or maybe political reasons, doesn't deliver that to you, right. you're paralyzed. But the real thing, the real problem uh, that I see, the big problem, and have always uh, considered to be the, the, the main point with China is China has built a huge industrial base. Mm -hmm. And if they pivot that industrial base, let's say they pivot their domestic shipbuilding capability into making warships, Yes. They vastly outstrip our ability to build warships fairly quickly. So they, so they can dominate the Western Pacific. Uh, if, they, if they decide to, sh to pivot their domestic shipbuilding capability that we've helped to establish for them by giving them all this business, uh, and they pivoted that into making warships, they would quickly dominate uh, large areas of the world that we depend on and have a real interest in. So, so the industrial base that we have given, that we've transferred to China, has significance in, in, uh, in terms of national security. Well, Chairman, I know that time is passing quickly. And, and by the way, I know there's a celebration this evening uh, honoring you as well uh, here in D.C. But be before we conclude, 
Uh, I, you know, kudos to you as a bronze medal winner, and and again, seriously, a war hero and leading. Uh, a, a John, I just, I just but, showed up. Well, you're Come very and up. you're very humble. I appreciate yeah. that. Uh, and I got a lot to be humble for. Believe well, me. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your your life uh, for so many people. And as I was mentioning. In spite of all of our blemishes, we're the best in the world. And we are. We have people across the street that are trying really hard. Um, believe it or not, to a lot of people that aren't aren't as close to it as we are, a lot of good people on Capitol Hill trying to make a difference. And you, you've made a place, and your name is brought up frequently as a, as a, a very strong bipartisan leader. So, uh, Chairman Duncan Hunter, uh, thank you for joining me on Politics Aside. Uh, we'll look forward to seeing more of you, and please give Lynn uh, my love and a hug as well. So oh, thank you very much. John, you're very kind, and uh, thank you. And, uh, you know, you're right. Uh, uh, when uh, when people are hungry, the Americans send food. When they're, When people are sick, the Americans send medical assistance. And when other people are losing their freedom, Americans leave the safety of their own homes to go yes. fight for somebody else's freedom. That's pretty unique in the world, and that uh, that represents our country, greatest country in the world. And again, I know the clock's ticking, but I still remember walking with you through the uh, rotunda, U.S. Capitol, many years ago. Uh, I still remember you uh, explaining so eloquently the importance of the institution, the importance of the leadership. So. Again, thank you very much for your time. Uh, it's an honor to spend a few moments with you and look forward to spending oh, more time in the future. My pleasure, thank John. And th- thank you. And thank you for your service to our country. Thank you. It's an honor. Thank you. Hey, God bless. All the best. Thanks.